If you're going to be a marketer, you absolutely have to love it because it changes every day. It is one of the most frustrating roles because you're getting blamed at the first for everything. But at the same time, too, it's like you have to keep up. So as a marketer, you have to have that genuine passion for things changing. You have to flex your strategies and know that your strategies will become outdated. So to be a really good marketer, you have to keep up with those strategies. You have to understand media innovation and keep your finger on the pulse. Mitzi Mike, and this is the Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, brand builders, creators, and anyone else who wants to make waves online. We sit down with the experts and the tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands. And today on the show, we have Mario Moreno-Sears. Mario is a modern marketer who has spent over a decade in social media and digital marketing. He's an industry expert who knows how to build effective marketing strategies, and he's worked for guests Forever 21, L'Oreal Paris, and was most recently the global head of marketing for H&M. Quite the resume, and mm-hmm. it's all led him to where he's at today, which is one, uh, running a marketing consulting agency called Moonrise Social Club, as well as starting his own D2C brand called We Spill the Tea. In addition to that, he is a content creator slash influencer on the side who has built more than a 160,000 followers across his TikTok and Instagram platforms, which is actually how we discovered him. That's true. And he's been a big supporter of the podcast even long before he was a guest. So it just felt like a finally mm-hmm. moment for all of us. Yeah, it was fun. Um, we get into a variety of different topics. The inevitable one is how does he do it all between uh, running his agency and his brand and being a creator all at the same time. Um, and within that, we also talked about overcoming imposter syndrome. Yeah, which is actually really refreshing to hear him talk about because he's someone I wouldn't expect to deal with that. But the truth is, we're all just kind of faking it till we make it. Yeah. And the best way to learn is to do. So Absolutely. we talk about how like the most important form of education is just immersing yourself in it, in whatever it is you want to learn. Mm-hmm. And for him and for us, that's been social. Yeah. And one thing that I walked away with with this interview was talking about how, or just realizing that the future CMOs and future global marketers behind some of these bigger brands will be people who have a lot of experience in social and who Mm -hmm. truly understand social. So if you're, have if you have aspirations to be a CMO at some of these big corporate brands, this is a really good episode for you because you'll see that he's someone who's taken his social experience and and driven that into a bigger opportunity. And now he's doing that for lots of different brands. Yeah. Let's get into the good stuff. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Mario, thank you so much for joining us on the Wave Social Podcast. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like this has been a long time coming, so we're really excited to dive into everything. But um, I want to start at the beginning. You have such an interesting uh, career trajectory. You've gone through a few different roles in corporate. Can you walk us through like how you got into marketing and tell us about the different roles that you had uh, since you started your career? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very interesting story for me. Um, I went to school at Loyola Marymount University in California for communication studies. Had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, to be honest with you. I took communications because it was like the easy major. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there weren't really any sort of like marketing courses. But I, I knew that I loved kind of brand images and working with kind of creative like that and, and storytelling. So, you know, I randomly got an internship, um, very like run-in kind of situation 
with the CEO of Guess Jeans. Um, his his family was considering looking at Loyola for you know their first kind of uh, um, college experience within their family. So he offered me a internship at, at the very end of the tour, and I wasn't even expecting it. So it really kind of fell into my lap. And the internship was only supposed to be uh, one year. It was in communications. And it ended up, I asked to extend it to two years. And then that just really like started my journey. So I really started out in communications and then started to see social media being this thing that was, you know, just getting started. Facebook was already out, but Instagram had just launched. And I had a conversation with the CEO and basically told him, you know, you have all this beautiful, iconic guest imagery. Everybody knows the guest guy and guest girl. And like, you need to do something with that. Take that off of a billboard and put it on Instagram. Just try it and see, you know, how people react. And those were the good old days when you used to be able to take something and put it on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and it just like worked and it was like (laughs) the easiest thing ever. Um, People loved it. So I actually helped them get started on social media. And then my career just like skyrocketed from there. So I stayed there, helped build their social media you know, strategy. I didn't know what I was doing. There was no rule book there. Everyone was just figuring it all out because it was this new thing. So I ended up building out a social media team, starting to look at paid social media advertising. Bloggers were transitioning from bloggers into influencers. And how did that whole, you know, thing happen? Mm. At, At that time, I also taught my first class on social media for a fashion school, teaching people how to do it which was wild at 23 being a college professor was like insane. And then from that journey of, of kind of being at guest for quite some time, I then moved on to forever 21. Um, and my time at forever 21 was really awesome because that was like the peak of influencers, mm-hmm. like, like really understanding that you can make money off of this. You can have deliverables, you can get contracts. And I was in charge of global social media at forever 21. Whereas my scope at guest was, just US. So every single job kind of got bigger and bigger. Then from Forever 21, I moved to New York, uh, working for L'Oreal Paris, which was very exciting, focusing on influencers. And then I switched back over to fashion again, uh, to really focus on kind of overall brand marketing for, for H&M. So kind of a crazy, you know, wild journey for me, but it's been such a great growth all due to the fact of social media wow. and really getting to, you know, see it grow and develop and growing with it. Yeah. On that, to that point, you mentioned how like every, as you move to different companies, your, your role always continue expanded, whether it was geographic or even like job description wise. And you also mentioned like the good old days of social media at guests when like you could just kind of like spray it and pray it and it would, it would work, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, obviously social changes so fast. It always has. How have you navigated that, um, the change in technology, shift in strategy that obviously is kind of like a trickle-down effect of that and even just the way brands started to show up online differently over time? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it has to be with immersing yourself in it. If you're going to be a marketer, you absolutely have to love it because it changes every day. It is one of the most frustrating roles because you're getting blamed at the first for everything. Um, But at the same time, too, it's like you have to keep up. So as a marketer, you have to have that genuine passion for things changing. You know, one year it's Instagram, then it's Snapchat, then it's, you know, TikTok, then you have to flex your strategies and know that your strategies will become outdated. So to be a really good marketer, you have to keep up with those strategies. You have to understand media innovation what and keep your finger on the pulse. And the way that I really kind of do that 
is by being an influencer myself and kind of working with some of these channels and kind of adapting and learning and seeing the communities, even if it's just like being on the communities and being silent. I'm like on Twitch right now trying to like really understand and absorb as much as possible. So like really trying to just be a sponge. And I think that's how you can kind of keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people get very structured and set in their ways and still use a 2019 social media strategy versus 2022. And it's very, very different. So I think the brands that succeed are the brands that know that they have to keep up and invest in kind of these these new channels and platforms. That's so true. I, I Sometimes we tell our clients like, this is a strategy for right now, and it might be completely different in six months from now. Yeah, so exactly. just like brace yourself. One thing that I was thinking about while you were talking there is like how you're when working in these corporate settings and you kind of went from social US and then social global and then even on the brand side, like overall marketing. And, um, you know, I imagine that working with like bigger teams and maybe like, you know, ad- or uh, I guess being answering to a C-suite and things like that, like mm-hmm. you kind of like stumbled around in social media. And at the time, like when you started, no one really knew what they were doing. There wasn't a playbook. So how much of like what you propose and what you kind of suggest for these brands was based on instinct? And then like, how did you fine tune that instinct as you grew? Like, I know you said that you've immersed yourself in these platforms and that's like, so important for everyone who's listening, even who's in this space, they have to be immersed. I totally agree with that. But I feel like there's like the fact that you jumped around to all all these big brands, like there's got to be something extra that was just like almost instinctual to either like understanding the brand, understanding the target audience. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of it is the curiosity that leads you to the education, that leads you to the research and kind of like I said, like really immersing yourself into what is right, what is authentic. And I think, you know, a lot of times, 90% of my conversations with executives who don't understand social media is all about education, why this is important, building that trust. And I think in any organization, not even just marketing in general, you have to assert yourself as an expert. And some of that is gut instinct because you've done it for a while and you should rely on the fact that you do have experience and you know better, if not more than, you know, the executive that you're, you're pitching this to, to get approval on budget or what have you to the green light to move forward. But I think a lot of it really is on you to kind of educate yourself and make sure that yes, you have your, your instincts, but they're informed instincts, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense to really make sure that like, okay, I know the community. I know the audience. I've done my research. Like I get it. Now let me package this up and help educate, you know, those above me or those stakeholders or decision makers to help them understand. And I think a lot of the times the proof is in the pudding. If you can kind of back it up in data, showcase what you're doing, showcase your goals and kind of track it through that and really sell it. A lot of what we do in marketing is sales to really sell to the customer, sell to internally, you know, mm-hmm. get buy-in to do certain campaigns and, and things like that. So I I heard a TikTok the other day that was really like, you know, if you don't have a seat um, at the table, really kind of pull it up and just allow yourself to be in the room. And so many people are so scared of that. Mm-hmm. I think as a marketer, you have to have that presence. You have to have that confidence um, while balancing your own Im- imposter syndrome, insecurities, all of that stuff. But, you know, educating those above you, feeling confident in the research that you're doing is going to take you very far. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, on the topic of uh, education and even just a seat at the table, I feel like that's the perfect segue. Uh, we know you're passionate about visibility and inclusivity 
how on one hand how have you how have you guided brands the brands that you've worked with towards better inclusivity practices but then also as a broader observation what are you seeing brands doing right now as you're immersed in it to continue making making ground in the area of inclusivity and visibility for different people types and yeah, no, that's something that's very, very important to me and is a huge passion project of me wherever I go. It's never in my job description, but it's mm-hmm. always something that I fight for um, is, you know, the U.S. is one of the most diverse countries in the world. And I think if you're kind of representing a U.S. brand, you owe it to the brand, to the customer to represent them as well. And I think a lot of brands still, you know, even just thinking not only like ethnic diversity, but styling diversity, abilities, disabilities, like taking a look at, you know, a variety of size inclusivity. Like there's so many different areas that customers are underrepresented, uh, underrepresented, excuse me. And like brands can really go after that and they don't have to do it in a, you know, everyone thinks I have to have a massive inclusivity campaign or things like that. There's, there's, small low-hanging fruit changes that you can make. So I think really as a marketer, you have to understand where has the brand been with inclusion and diversity? Where does the brand want to go? What are the areas and pillars? Because you can't be everything for everyone, but you have to understand who you're trying to represent and what are the stories that still need to be told and what are things that you can do operationally within your organization to change that. I think one of the really interesting things that I found is you know, during the pandemic, a lot of us have stayed at home and ate a little bit more and maybe didn't necessarily, you know, uh, work out as much. Um, and the average, you know, size for for uh, the U.S. woman is used to be size 16. And now that has increased to size 18. So there needs to be more conversations in, in, in regards to size inclusivity and how do you speak to, you know, that customer who may not feel comfortable and, and doesn't understand fit and all of that. How do you help educate and build strategies around that? So I think a huge part of it is keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world and being able to bring that into inclusion and diversity, but doing it in a purpose-driven way that the brand really believes in. You know, the worst thing you can do is be inauthentic with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to like, I know it's tricky and everyone's like, wants to do the the right thing, but, you know, virtual signaling, signaling is also like something that brands are questioning now too. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's important to have people who care about that on the marketing teams. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about TikTok. So yeah. you have a really great presence there. That's how we actually discovered you uh, through oh, TikTok. And I love that you built that and it seems like really intentional. Talk to us about why that's been a priority for you and how you got into TikTok. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was just, kind of, I'm the type of person to where I don't sit still. Um, I just like, you know, like I mentioned before, I like to immerse myself in, you know, new platforms and really kind of understand what what's going on. And I have always felt that, you know, for me being in kind of the marketing communication space, I didn't really have a lot of resources. I didn't have a lot of mentors or people that I could turn to, to be like, how did you do that? You know, and I'm very much an open book. My mom is a teacher as well. And for her, you know, education just kind of runs in our blood. So for us wanting to make sure that we can create an outlet, you know, from her side, being a teacher, for me, just in general, having that being part of my upbringing, I was like, there's something here. TikTok is such a unique community. Let me take some of what I know and share that out. I had no idea that people would be interested in marketing. If you would have like done anything like that on, on Instagram at that time, 
you know, everyone would have been like, what are you doing? Why are you sharing like work things? We don't care. But TikTok was really a, a very welcoming community. And I think at the time and height of the pandemic, when I first started is people were like, well, what do I do with my free time? Like, I want to learn a little bit more. I want to dive into content. The view time is going up. So I was like, let me just consistently go on here and do, you know, trending snippets of like the things that I know and get some of this that's in my head out. Um, to hopefully inspire somebody. And if, you know, somebody is interested in being a, a marketer, let me share my blueprint, you know, and let, let me inspire them on how to get started and how to find a job or how to get better in social media or start your own agency or, you know, things like that. So I didn't know if it was going to take off. And, um, you know, fortunately it did. And I, I absolutely love it. So it was very intentional. I think once I realized it was something. That's awesome. What do you think has helped you grow the most? Like, I know you're pretty consistent. Do you think it's been like, is there like a formula that you've figured out that's like posting every day or whatever that's helped you grow a following? So, I mean, I, this is such a loaded question and (laughs) such a controversial question because there's so many like gurus on Mm -hmm. here that are like post five to eight times a day, you know, start with a hook, you know, make sure that it's no longer than 15 seconds. I don't abide by any of those rules, which sounds so counterintuitive to everything. I just post things that I I am passionate about, that I want to do. I think my content has a particular format to where it's very tip-oriented. It's, you know, the three things that you need to improve your resume, like those types of things. So there's certain formats that I follow. But in regards to best times of day to post or, you know, things like that, I kind of post when I want and I kind of post when I feel like it's right. I, you know, try to do a post every single day, but um, sometimes I burn out and I'm like, I need a a week break. Um, But I think the biggest piece of advice, which sounds so cliche, is showing up regularly. Consistency really kind of helps build your identity. You know, you're seeing your face pop up more on the For You page. Like, I think being consistent with how you show up, regardless of your view count or follower count, is going to take you much farther than trying to trace all the trending sounds and, you know, trace or chase the really kind of getting as many views as possible. I think just showing up consistently really is what, you know, helped me. No, I love it. How did like how did you figure out like your sweet spot for content? Like you said, that it's based lots on tips, and that is that just because like that's what you felt was most valuable. Um, I know a lot of people um, maybe look at TikTok and they're like, I have no idea what to post, and I know that takes time to figure out what you know is resonating with people. But like, what was that journey like for you? So for me, I'm very type A. So I really like kind of sitting and and mapping out like what I want to do. So I actually had a brainstorm session with myself of like, what are the content pillars that I want to talk about? You know, for me, my Instagram is very much the lifestyle side of me. It's very personal. You know, I share a lot of products, places I go, things like that. So very typical kind of Instagram influencer on that side of things. But for TikTok, I was like, I want to do something different. And I want to you know, when I was first having conversations with TikTok and kind of reaching out to them, they were like, it's really about education, you know, inspiration and entertainment. And for me, I was like, let me focus on this education pillar and kind of spell this out. So within education, what do I want to do? I want to focus on marketing. I want to focus on career building. I want to focus on social media. I want to focus on business tips and and starting your own small business. Those are the four pillars that I'm going to factor in. So I kind of stayed in my lane And then built content based off of those and kind of worked with, okay, you know, most of my TikToks are kind of like the same with kind of like the same viewpoint of my window, just so I have like good lighting and all that stuff. 
because I wanted to make it easy for myself to do every single day. So I didn't want to overthink backgrounds. I didn't want to have to think about all these things. I just wanted my education to kind of stand for itself. Um, so that's kind of how I, I did a little like brainstorming. How am I going to execute this on top of everything else that I'm doing? And that was kind of the, the outcome of it all. I love that. I love that you're sharing that because sometimes people think that there's not that much intention behind it. And that can be kind of challenging when you're talking to someone. You're like, wow, how did you grow this presence? And they're like, not giving you anything, but like knowing that there's right. – you know, it's okay to like strategize and figure out what you're like, even approach it almost like a client or a brand, um, because that's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. I love it. We've had a conversation that's been recurring through a few different interviews with some of our guests about niching down and the pros and cons of niching down. And I think, you know, you've done a great job at staying in your lane, like you said, when it comes to TikTok content. And then it sounds like your Instagram lets you kind of explore the other areas of interest that you have. What's your perspective on like niching into a certain like type of content or expertise or something? Um, I know there's benefits it helps you grow, but then there can be some limiting like issues with that. Yeah. Well, I think you have to understand first and foremost, like what you're trying to do. Like, what is the, per are you trying to have your TikTok for fun? Are you just trying to interact? Are you trying to grow and just be yourself? Because if that's the case, don't worry about it. You know, just be who you want to be and show up how you want to show up. If you're doing it intentionally to be seen as a marketing professional, if you're doing it to really kind of showcase your business, then I would recommend niching down. And then, you know, what I try to do is so that I allow myself some creative freedom is 80% of my content is really focused on marketing, business tips, et cetera. Um, I really, really kind of channel that. The other 20% may be me and my husband, or it may be, you know, me and my dog um, and, you know, fun trending content, always trying to find a way to somehow link it back to something or sometimes just not. And I know going into it that maybe that content won't do well, but I'm okay with it because I love it and I, it's, it's fun. So I think there has to be an element of fun and relaxation um, and allowing yourself that like, whether you allocate a certain percentage or however many pieces of content so that you're enjoying it. Because then I think when it's too prescriptive, you lose that personal touch. And I think people follow people because they enjoy them as people. So you kind of want to make sure that you balance it out. Um, but it's not always the easiest. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. That's really interesting. I like that. Because I feel like for me, when I'm not super active on TikTok, I consume definitely more than I share. And I think part of it is a little overwhelming for me to think about like just committing to a certain topic or a certain type of content and doing it all the time. So that's almost like, in a way, it's, it's like uh, freeing for me to hear that. So thank yeah. you very much. Um, of <clears throat> bit of a change in direction. I'm curious what you would say for people, because I think this represents a lot of our listeners, people who are representing a brand for their full-time job, maybe in a similar role to where you were at, at Guess or Forever 21. 
Um, but then they want to build a community for themselves around some of their own interests and expertise outside of that on their personal accounts. Is there advice that you have for the people that are considering that, considering being an influencer? Obviously, you've said that there's a benefit to it because you're immersing yourself in the platforms, but are there boundaries you need to set? Are, is there certain things that you can share and certain things that you shouldn't? Yeah. What's your POV? Yeah, no, absolutely. Very, very good question. And, um, you know, for me, the way that I look at it is that um, first and foremost, understand what's in your contract, what's in your social media policy. There's so many brands that are very careful with what you can do. And it's unfortunate because I think a lot of times, you know, social media professionals should be good at it and they should have their own presence. Um, but a lot of times people don't read their contracts and they don't flag, you know, kind of, you know, you can't be an influencer if you're working XYZ position. I have gotten in trouble at every single organization I've been in because of that. So that's more really? advice to myself. Oh, wow. Um, yes, people, I mean, brands are, are so protective yeah. and scared of what mm. people are going to say. And I think, you know, being, I, I hate to say this because it makes it sound like I'm bragging, but like a public figure or representative of the brand, totally. you know, people, whether or not at my time at Forever 21, at my time at H&M, people associated me with those brands, whether I was speaking about them or not. Mm -hmm. So you do have a responsibility, you know, to honor that. But I think what I would say is if you are allowed to do that, you know, really, I would say separate church and state. Like I don't really bring people in. If I'm representing a brand, I don't bring people into that. I try to figure out something else on the side. If you're at a small business, a small company, they welcome that. Um, if you're like a digital director and it helps kind of the, the brand's image and you've kind of agreed with a brand, absolutely. For me and the, the type of marketer, social media content creator that I am, I like to separate it a little bit so that that's clearly seen as my personal space. Um, because then you start getting the brand asking like, Hey, can you post this? And it's like, no, this is, this is my space. I've earned yeah. this. I built this following. You got to pay for that. Um, so exactly, exactly. Here's my rate. Um, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that I, I would always recommend is first kind of make sure that you can. Um, and then second, if you can really kind of, you know, separate that out, build your own lane and make sure that, you know, you're setting those boundaries because it's very easy to kind of let them collide unless you want them to collide. Then that's a larger conversation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I, I agree. I feel like people don't read their contracts. So that's a good mm -hmm. piece of advice. Play that back, everybody. Read your contract. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and honestly, I, pretty, I feel like that's why it took us so long to get you on the show is just because of some of the contracts you had with the, the brands that you were with. Yeah. But here we are. Exactly. Here we are now. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. We've learned. We've learned. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned like uh, making other things to talk about. So like having a side hustle or even just other types of expertise or learning that you're that you're experimenting with that you can talk about instead of the your full-time job. Is that what led you into the entrepreneurial space or was it more out of a moment of inspiration, like with your tea brand, for example? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it was pandemic related, to be honest with you. I think for me, I have spent a decade in marketing, working for brands and focusing on brand storytelling and social media specifically and really kind of doing that. And, and I kind of reached a point to where I was like, you know, I'm the head of marketing for the US for H&M, like, this is so great. But at the same time, like, what's next? Like, how do you how do you top that? You know, so for me, I was like, kind of just toying with the idea of like, I want to put my marketing to the test. And I want to see how good of a marketer I can be. And, you know, I've always loved tea. My family's from England, we're big tea drinkers. So for me, I was, you know, randomly doing research one day and saw 
I was, I was trying to look for like organic uh, fruit tea options on Amazon. And I was like, man, there's nothing really out here. It's like organic, but it's in like plastic or nylon kind of tea bag. So I was like, there needs to be a more eco-friendly way. I'm trying to get better at sustainability and kind of focus on, on kind of eco-friendly products. So for me, I was like, wow, like everybody thinks that they're having this really amazing tea, but they're heating up all these plastics in it when they're heating up the tea bag. So I was like, there's got to be something there. So then I started to just like dive headfirst into the product space and then put my marketing to the test. And I said, I'm going to build this brand from the bottom up. Um, and then I launched We Spill the Tea. Um, and that's been amazing. And then that kind of led to me also starting my own marketing consulting agency. So I had, you know, left H&M and then decided to start my own marketing consulting company and brought on a couple of clients. Um, H&M is one of my clients now as well, oh, which is great awesome. that it comes full circle. But to really kind of answer your question, it all started off of a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of like, okay, I paid my dues. Mm -hmm. Now I want to try something different. And I've always been a risk taker. So it's been very much like, I'm just going to do it, see what happens. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back to the brand side. Mm -hmm. I yeah. relate to that so much because I similar to you, like I've watched, you know, people build businesses and I've always worked for a small company, not a large one like you have, but even like thinking like, I feel like I could do that. Like, I feel like I could start from scratch and do this. And yeah. then you have the, all the freedom to call every shot when it comes to branding or like website experience or customer service experience, like every single aspect of it. And, and that sounds really fun and freeing, but it also yeah. comes with so many challenges. Um, yeah. What have been some of those challenges that you've been facing now that you're like in the entrepreneur space, kind of running your own thing? I think just like you just said, is you are responsible for, for everything. You're responsible mm -hmm. for customer service. You're responsible for email marketing. You know, the, the website development. You're responsible for product, um, you know, uh, quality and control. Like every single part of the business that you're creating is yours to deal with. I didn't know how to start an LLC. I didn't know, you know, how to get a bookkeeper, how to get an accountant, like all of these different things, because I've been so conditioned to kind of follow the corporate structure and I had my payroll and I didn't have to worry about it. When you're, you're making that switch, it's all on you. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people aren't prepared for that. They're prepared for the exciting parts of it, of having their own company, their own business, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. But there's a lot of work that goes into it. So you have to really be serious about it. It's also a, a big financial commitment mm -hmm. as well. So really kind of working with that. But I think I went through a very exciting period, and I like to call it an exciting period, as tough as it was, of unlearning a lot of what I learned on the corporate side of things. Because I'm here playing with massive budgets, massive media spends, and then as a small business owner, I'm like, well, how much do I have in my checking account to support this? Like, it's, it's, there's no like media budget. It's like my checking account. So it's like you have to think about it in a little bit different of a way. And I'm so thankful for the experience. Fortunately, it all worked out and it's, it's been incredible. Um, but you know, you have to be so on top of doing everything, but at the same time growing and scaling as well, mm. which is, is quite hard and challenging. Uh, but you have to love it. Absolutely. And I think it, it's interesting to hear like how much you got to do for one brand when you start something mm -hmm. like that, especially in D2C. And I, it's cool that you're already like looking at bookkeepers and accountants and stuff like that. Like you're already kind of like learning quickly, like I need to get the right people, the right cooks in the kitchen, you know. But then on the flip side of that, you also started an agency. So where with your D2C brand, you're doing everything for one brand. And even with your past job experience as well, you, you're doing 
a really specific set of activities for a singular brand. But then going to the agency space, now you're maybe doing a more specific thing, but for multiple brands. So what has that transition right. been like for you uh, moving to the agency side? Yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting. Like I mentioned before, I don't know how to rest. It's just not in my nature. That's probably why I moved to New York. That is so fast paced yeah. uh, from my original California vibe. But I think to, to really kind of answer your question, it's also going in. I'm fortunate enough to have the 10 years of experience that I had in social media and in marketing to carry with me because I feel like I had a very solid foundation to be able to go out as a as an expert and be confident to approach clients and kind of share my history of what I've been able to do. So the transition to the agency side of things wasn't hard because I've worked with so many agencies um, and I'm a huge advocate. I tell everyone like get agency experience, get brand experience. And it doesn't matter which one you start with first, but make sure that you have both so that you can understand client expectations, but you can also understand brand expectations. And I think for me, I knew that coming off the gate. And I think my credibility, you know, my 10 years experience, I was able to carry that and leverage it for pitches, for presentations, for authority, so that all of my clients trusted me from the start. And then being able to build all of my calendars, my structure, understanding the brand and kind of helping that grow. So it's been quite an enjoyable journey. I think the hardest part of it all is time management, especially, you know, having a product, having clients, being a content creator. Like I'm very you know, critical of how much time I spend on certain things and when I get things done. But the the overall transition has been relatively good for me, cool. um, I will say. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about like what you said with the T brand and then your agency, but then on top of that, you're doing your own content creation too as an influencer. Um, so how are like, how are you balancing all that? <laughs> um, for sleep? me, you know, yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I do sleep eight hours. Um, I love I love my sleep. For me, it's just about being smart. And I hate to say the whole like, uh, work smarter, not harder uh, type approach. But it, it's really true. I outsource where I can. I have a virtual assistant that kind of helps me, you know, do outreach emails and, and stuff like that, um, that I came to terms with the fact that I did need help. Um, also, at the same time, too, I am a huge fan of batching content. Um, for me doing my TikToks, I probably shouldn't share this because it's embarrassing, but like I have a pile of clothes next to where I'm filming and I literally like swap out overshirts. I'm a huge fan of overshirts because I can have a black t-shirt, throw on an overshirt, batch, you know, six pieces of content, then move on to the next. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like really working smarter. All of my emails, I spend one day doing all of my emails for We Spill the Tea, batch those out, schedule them out through MailChimp. So, you know, I try to spend specific days doing specific things and really kind of cranking it out so that I can, you know, set it and forget it. And it's still working as I'm working on other projects that need my my time one-on-one -on -one or I need to troubleshoot or put up fires or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That's great. D2C is a difficult space. I feel like maybe five years ago, it was a lot easier to build a customer base as a D2C brand. There was like the the peak of D2C like excitement. Um, social media was really a big driver of revenue, but it's changed so much and it's not as easy. And even like more established D2C brands are really struggling. What are you seeing as like a student in this space and also now like a D2C founder? Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? 
Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's a couple things that have always kind of gone into branding that I think really the expectations of the customer aren't just in product. Unless you just have a really good product that does something that nobody else does, your product alone really can't stand alone and really kind of speak for itself. Mm -hmm. You have to have not only the product, but you have to have the right brand and the right community and the right content at the right time. So I think, you know, those that are entering the D2C space, there's It's hard because it's like sometimes I think, you know, TikTok and then Instagram can create a a toxic environment in the sense of everybody feels like, oh, it's so easy. I can start my own brand. And they see like the highlight reel of all of that. But there's so much that goes into, you know, even getting a brand up and off the ground to get people even interested and really thinking about all of the different, you know, levels of the customer journey from awareness to consideration to preference and purchase, you know, taking them through that funnel, you have to build all of those. People aren't just going to discover your brand and buy right away. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the hardest part about running a D2C brand is like, you really have to invest in the storytelling and that doesn't always see the results right away, but you have to kind of build that up and express that to a, you know, customer depending on where they are in the right format in the right way. So it's, it's psychological really is Mm -hmm. really understanding your customer first and who you're really going after before you, you start your brand. Yeah. What, one thing that we're talking about here at our agency too is about how brands kind of have to look at themselves as like media publishers almost. And they have to be, you know, on every platform. Well, most of them have to be on every platform and be pushing out content on like such a crazy frequency. Would you agree with that? Like, do you think that's what's required of brands to be successful in their marketing now? Like even thinking about storytelling and how like we're all kind of like, in this like 24 seven cycle of content and we're seeing so much content, like for brands to keep up, that's really tough. Um, Do you have like a perspective on that? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the size of your brand, right? So for me, you know, working for these big massive brands, I would have a team of anywhere from three to six on the social media side, cranking out 60 pieces of content is my expectation for myself of, you know, an independent founder and marketer and all of that stuff to crank out 60 pieces of content? Absolutely not. That would be unrealistic for me to think that I would be able to achieve that unless I outsourced or got some sort of help. Um, A lot of what I tell all of my clients is start small, get really, really good at something and get good at something that has the most viral potential. So whether that is starting your own podcast and really kind of owning the podcast space or TikTok, for example, really kind of getting great at TikTok and showing up consistently every single day. I think a lot of times people get so overwhelmed that I need to be on Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Like as a small business, I think you have to kind of adjust what your capabilities are, how you can keep up with everything, but get really good at one thing first and then let that grow and scale and then turn into something else. Hmm. So that's kind of how I, I like to take a look at it. Yeah, that's great advice. I want to talk about your marketing foundations course. So you said that like yes. education has always been in your blood. What inspired you to write it? So I had, you know, with my following, I have so many people who are like, I just graduated high school. I know nothing about, you know, marketing. I just graduated college and 
I don't feel like the, the courses that I'm taking are relevant anymore. They're outdated marketing. And I just felt so bad, you know, <laughs> like a lot of it, I was just like, oh, I wish I could like just teach it people what I know. And I think there's so much out there with, you know, here's how to be an expert at paid social media ads. Here's how to be an expert at SEM. And they speak in such a high level, you know, way or, or a really deep expert analysis of the course or, you know, anything like that. I felt like there needs to be kind of like that intro of like, here's how to do it. Here's how I've done it. Here's how to think about it in casual terms without getting overly technical. And this is the mindset and perspective that you have to have. So I really wanted to create kind of the foundational structure for people to either take the course and understand is marketing for me or as they're kind of entering into the marketing space, getting a general understanding. I started my career very much diving into social media, but I didn't know about email marketing. I didn't know about affiliate marketing. I learned about those later on in my career. And I think, you know, that's why I wanted to create this course is from a high level, really teach everybody the skill sets that you need, how you think about them, how the channels work in an ecosystem. Because I very much believe if you're a marketer, you have to be aware of what the ecosystem is and all of the marketing channels at your disposal and how to make them work with each other. So it talks a lot about that, but then it also talks about like little things to look out for in influencer contracts and how should you build an influencer contract and templates like that. So mm. for me, I just wanted to kind of, it's like the marketing starter kit uh, for people to really get started and learn kind of the foundations um, there. And, and if anybody's interested in checking it out, it's at uh, moonraysocialclub.com. So nice. um, it's, 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 it's a fun little course. I hope to do more of them. It's been pretty successful thus far. So I'm hoping to do part two and three down the line. Yeah. And not everyone gets the, the internship opportunity. So this is a great kind of substitute for that. What is one piece of advice that you've been given over the years that has really stuck with you or even that you'd want to pass on to our listeners? I think the biggest piece of advice is really, and this is a conversation that I've had kind of halfway through my, my career, is really kind of overcoming imposter syndrome. And I think that's been a term that's like been really thrown around is don't let that paralyze you. Realize that everybody is still trying to figure it out. Um, as much as people see me as a marketing expert, I don't necessarily see myself as a marketing expert. And it's constantly getting over that and knowing that I am a marketing expert and I'm an expert in kind of my lane. And I've shown up to so many conferences where it's like the CMO or vice president or president of, you know, so-and-so, these major brands, and we get to having conversations. And I, once I see through all of the buzzwords, I'm like, wait, you really don't, don't get it yet. You know, like, and we're all, and that's okay. We're all still trying to figure it out. And you guys raised something really early on in, in kind of the podcast of, of, you know, how it changes so frequently. And I think once you kind of understand that it's constantly evolving, constantly changing, you're never going to fully understand everything. That little piece of advice is like, don't worry about having imposter syndrome. We're all trying to figure it out is one of the things that put me at ease and really helped me become a better marketer because I'm not so much worried about like catching up to everybody else, just understanding where I'm at and, you know, continuing to grow that skill set. Mm -hmm. Totally. I Thanks think for you nailed sharing it. that. Yeah, I think it's really good because I also struggle with imposter syndrome. But one thing that's helped me too is thinking about like, you should always be feeling like an imposter if you're growing. Like you should always yeah. be entering rooms where you feel like you're not qualified or working with a client that feels really big or like confronting something that feels scary and challenging and like like you feel unqualified for because that just means that you're growing. So I always, I was always like, how do I overcome this? But like the truth is like if you're doing your job and you're growing, 
you know, and you're expanding your reach and all those things, you should, you should always be wrestling with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a byproduct of growth, which is a positive thing. Yes. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, So we're nearing the end of our interview here. And we always like to ask all of our guests who's making waves right now and why, and this can be a brand. It could be a creator, can be a D2C brand, whatever, whatever comes to mind. To be honest with you, and I've heard you guys ask this before, so I came prepared for that. (laughs) To be honest with you, I really think everyone is making waves. And I know that's such a cop-out answer, but like anybody that has a phone can pick it up, create content, tell a story, tell a tip. There's so many people that I followed that like started out with, you know, 1,000 followers, 2,000. Now they're like speaking at conferences and doing amazing things. I mean, you know, big time speakers like Brock Johnson is somebody that I follow um, on TikTok who I really like. Um, Also, you know, there's real estate agents, Glenda Baker. I know nothing about real estate. I love her content. You know, she's really kind of being vulnerable and storytelling and all of this stuff as well. And I think the the pendulum has shifted a little bit as to who we glorify and who's really kind of in control of the conversations. Because I think now with TikTok, with all the algorithm updates and changes and the willingness for people to be a, a content creator without being so polished and kind of Instagram centric is really on the rise. So really anybody can make waves and kind of do this on their own and and become their own content creator and their own brand. And I've Mm -hmm. seen so many people do it. I've had so many people that just got started following me during the pandemic and now they've left their jobs to start their own consulting company and they're getting, you know, um, you know, four figure brand deal partnerships and stuff like that when they started out with nothing. So it's really great to see what's going on and see that so many people have the opportunity to make waves. So true. Power of social. I love it. Okay, last question. Where can listeners connect with you? Drop all your handles, Moonrise Social Club, all the tea stuff. Drop it all. Perfect. Perfect. No, so the best places to follow me are on Instagram and TikTok at follow Mario. Very easy. Um, I basically told you what to do. Um, and then there's also uh, We Spill the Tea is uh, my organic tea business that's available on Amazon or WeSpillTheTea.com. Um, and then Moonrise Social Club is the name of my agency. So you can find out more about it at MoonriseSocialClub.com. But the best way is always to connect with me directly at Follow Mario. Well, Mario. It's been a treat. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. And we'll be sure to drop all those for me. handles in the show notes if people are interested. Perfect. Thank you, guys.